You're tuning into the Fearless Fridays with Marianne podcast. As a best-selling author, certified life coach, and speaker, I created this podcast to inspire, empower, and transform you from the inside out. From time to time, you may hear a solo episode, but for the most part, we will be joined by real-life guests who have overcome adversity, but as they have done the work, today they are thriving. So grab your pen and paper as we get started and learn firsthand tips and tricks to change the trajectory of your lives so we can live a free, fearless, and fabulous life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fearless Fridays with Marianne. I am your host, Marianne Rivera Dannert, known as the Fearless Living Expert. And today we have one amazing young lady and a great topic that we have not had here on the podcast before. So without further ado, let's bring her on and get started. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. So let's get started. Tell us your name and a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Shelly, and I am a nutrition mindset coach and dietitian. Um, so I'm helping women to develop a healthy and joyful relationship with their food because all too often it's one or the other. And so I like to help people realize that it's both um, or it can be. And um, I'm coming from Seattle. Nice. So thank you for joining us. Um, so tell me, how did you get into this line of work? And did you ever struggle with, you know, having unhealthy eating habits and not having a good mindset? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of hard not to not have a uh, not to have a healthy relationship with their food. Um, just in the environment that we're living in, right? It's very easy to have something um, some kind of like residue from the, from the environment, from the culture. Um, I really got interested in this in eighth grade, um, at a, a science fair, um, during a science fair project, I was working on vitamin C content in vegetables and whether cooking method affected this or not. My dad noticed that I was reading all of the textbooks, um, kind of like really interested in this, um, and he suggested that I do some job shadows and see what careers were available. Um, so that got me started in nutrition. And then what really got me interested in the specific, um, the specialty area that I practice in, which is intuitive eating and, and weight neutral uh, nutrition is when I was in the hospital, I found out that it just felt like we were blaming the patient and setting them up for failure. And it, it didn't feel like the right approach to me to say like, oh, you can only eat certain foods or you you have to eat um, a certain way or a certain amount and then, you know, expect marvelous results when the recommendations were basically the same for everybody. And mm. it wasn't really adapting to their culture, to the preferences, to what was going on in their lives or in their diagnoses. And it was just like cookie cutter any dietitian could have regurgitated, you know, now I might say like, even AI might have regurgitated the same thing, right? Like it's, it's really impersonal. And then we would say to the patient or like in the patient's chart, we would say things like patient was non-compliant or patient didn't recall the nutrition information, you know, that we had like shoved at them yeah. right after they had this traumatic diagnosis. So um, it didn't feel right to me. And it didn't feel like especially when you talk about body size and the expectations that we had, how were we treating different patients differently? 
um, just mm -hmm. in regard to their body size and making assumptions about them and their health. And none of that sat well with me. So started looking into other, other ways of doing nutrition, um, more from that non-diet perspective, health at every size or weight neutral perspective. Um, and I really kind of came into it through that, that way. Mm -hmm. um, once I figured out there was a certification program, I joined that and yeah. it branched from there. Awesome. That's beautiful. So can you talk a little bit more about intuitive eating? Like what exactly is the science behind that? And how does that work? And how does it differ from, you know, traditional diets and things like that? Sure. So intuitive eating, the way I explain it to my patients um, and to most other people I talk to is really, it's a focus or a recovery and a focus on our internal cues rather than the external rules. So rather than saying we must eat a certain number of fruits and vegetables every day, we say, okay, how do we know, like, how do we know what, when, and how much to eat based on our internal body cues? And it's not like this woo-woo kind of like, and then somehow we just know. It's, it's really based on tuning into the signals that our body is already designed to put out. Um, and recovering those signals if we've lost them through not paying attention to them or, you know, dieting um, or even not dieting with a name. You know, like sometimes we're just like, oh, it's for the sake of wellness, for the sake of my right. health. I'm just not eating certain things. And like, that's a diet. Um, but it's it, it can be recovered in most cases. I, uh, in my experience, in a lot of my colleagues experience, you can recover a lot of those internal cues or you can learn alternative cues so that you can still learn to regulate and learn to um, figure out what would be the most satisfying thing in that situation. And that really differs by an emphasis on the individual in the context of the, the, like, the group knowledge, right? So our studies, our nutrition studies are population level based, not person based, okay. um, but we need to apply it in the person scale, right? So if I'm talking to you one-on-one -on -one with nutrition recommendations, I'm not saying, well, in three out of 10 cases, you mm. know, these people all need to do these things, but you're like, no, but I'm talking to you. So right. we need to make that population level data apply to you. And one of the best ways to do that is to say, let's start with the information your body's already giving you. Right. So you mentioned internal signals. What are some of those signals and why do we often ignore those signals? Um, one of the most easy ones to reference is things like hunger and fullness, mm -hmm. and we may ignore them because we're too busy. They're inconvenient. You know, we just pass, pass them, or we don't think that we're hungry. Like sometimes our stomach never grumbles or it never rumbles. Like, okay, if that's not your hunger cue, then you have to know what else to look for. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes we don't know that information so we're never paying attention to those hunger, the hunger signals until it's like really, really extreme because not because we're trying to ignore them, just because we don't know what to look for. Right. So I often talk to my clients about, you know, having a landmark on a map or, um, you know, learning those like what it could be types of cues so that it's it's not just the, well, my stomach didn't grumble or it never grumbles, so I must never be hungry. Like you can you can figure out like I was talking about. There are alternative cues, there are lesser known cues, and we can work on those to help 
it feel a lot more in control because I think that's one of the pieces that people often struggle with, right? Is this food feels out of control. My life feels out of control. My mm-hmm. eating feels out of control. Right. I can't, I can't look at a food without the whole package going into my mouth, those kinds of things. Like it just feels very chaotic. And when we recover those hunger and fullness cues, for example, a lot of that calms down. Um, that in combination with some mindset work. That's awesome. So what will be some of the tips that you can provide to the busy woman who is listening to us? Um, I would say one of the first ones is to do some work on figuring out what you want, like what you really, really want, because I find that often we are so busy, myself included, that we don't actually figure out what it is that we want. We just know that something's kind of off or we just go along our lives and pretty soon stuff is happening to us and we're not happy with the way things are, but we also don't really know what to change because we don't have any direction to that change. Right. So we may try some things or we may, you know, be trying to figure out how to make this situation better. And maybe we even have some concept of what we want, but we're again, either miss, miss assigning it. Like, Oh, I think I want to be in a smaller body, mm-hmm. but why? Like right. just keep asking yourself, why really? Why? What do you think that's going to get you? And maybe it's just this life of freedom. Maybe it's a life of, being able to access different services. Maybe it's being able to say what you want because you feel like certain things are reserved until you reach a certain standard. And I'm not talking about like society, how that is, because there are definitely things that, you know, in society, we we definitely have some of those um, biases and privileges going on. But I'm talking about in your own mindset, like, are you the one holding yourself back these things that could be accessible to you if you weren't the one saying it's only for people who are in a certain body or it's only for people who have achieved a certain status. Um, And so that's probably the number one thing is like really figure out what you want because that's going to help so much with figuring out all these other pieces and and helping you stay motivated because this process can be kind of discouraging because it's a lot of unlearning and then relearning and there's always ups and downs when you're going through that process. So that's probably my number one tip is just like figure out what you want and that will help you a lot, whether that's figuring out what you want, you know, out of your life or why for the health or figuring out what you want to eat. That's a big part of what I talk to my clients about. Mm -hmm. How do we even know what we want to eat? So when you had mentioned something earlier that when you were doing the project, you know, in eighth grade and your dad saw you reading the books and things like that. You mentioned something about like cooking the nutrients out of vegetables. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, the pros and cons versus cooking your vegetables, eating them raw and things like that. Sure. So I always um, put a disclaimer when I start talking about nutrition Mm -hmm. recommendations and science and things. Um, This is really just education. So even though somebody is listening to this and I, it sounds like I'm talking to you, I don't actually know your situation. So this is not <laughs> nutrition counseling or nutrition therapy. Um, as far as for the nutrient recommendations specifically versus being able to eat more vegetables, like if cooking or not cooking helps you eat more vegetables and that's your preference and you're going to be more satisfied one way or another, do that because we know that satisfaction helps meet nutrient requirements. Um, The more variety you have, 
that helps you meet nutrient requirements. So if you're getting really bored, always eating the same cooked green beans, for example, change it up a little bit, right? Or cook them in a different way. Um, we like, yes, if you, if you're really looking for a specific nutrient, um, I was specifically looking at vitamin C in that experiment. Um, vitamin C is one of the kind of like the notorious, um, vitamins cause it's very, like it's very popular, um, but it's also a little bit fragile. It's sensitive mm -hmm. to heat. It's sensitive to light because it's an antioxidant and antioxidants um, are really sensitive to those things. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're doing the cooking, if you're thinking, say specifically, for example, about vitamin C, you'd want to keep your cooking time short. You'd want to keep it a little bit on the lower temperature end unless that increases the temperature and increases the cook time too long. You'd want to say, okay, well, is, is it more palatable? Is it more digestible? You know, those kinds of things matter too, because if you don't even eat the vegetable, it doesn't really matter how much vitamin right. C is in that thing. Like you're not getting any of it, right? So there has to be a balance between practically what, what would be recommended and what would work for your situation and the nutrition science piece of that. Um, it, it's just, there's a lot to consider and whether it touches the water or not, like if you're boiling something and then you leave the water, vitamin C can is water soluble. So it can transfer itself out mm. of the vegetable into the water, um, which means that you, if you're only eating the vegetable part and not the cooking liquid, some of it will be lost there. So things like that, like just figuring out how, how do we decide based on what is important to you? I think you had an episode on this too. Um, where you were talking about like decision-making and yes. like, pros and cons <laughs> and things like that. Right. Yeah. I thought that was really cool because you had mentioned a, a phrase about how does this, I'm paraphrasing now yeah. as like something like, how does this relate or line to my specific values and about, mm -hmm. in, intentions or something? Right. I really yeah. like that. Cause that's something that you need to know is like, what are, what is important to me, right. right. In the decision-making process. And sometimes these little things that we get hung up on, like, but what is the exact vitamin C content of this thing and which cooking method? Like, will it matter mm -hmm. actually when you're eating just like a single carrot? It probably doesn't because you're probably, that's probably not going to be your top source of vitamin C anyway. Yeah. Right. So it, it's kind of one of those things of like, there's no easy answer because I don't know who I'm talking to. Right. right. I, so that's one of those um, recommendations where, Hey, I would just talk it out with the person. We'd see what works for them. I like that. I like that. So how do you start like just drive, diving in a little deeper? How do you actually start working on, you know, shifting your mindset? I know that you talked about, you know, truly finding out what it is that you want and why. But what if the individual just truly has no clue? Like, you know, if somebody's listening to, you know, to this um, recording, to this episode or watching us, you know, later on and they're like, but what is it that I want? I have no clue what I want. You know, I've tried, you know, this method of eating, that method of eating because of this reason and nothing is sticking, you know, and I find myself back to square one. You know, how does that person work through that? Yeah. So I would say, because I hear that a lot. I've never heard, I don't know what I want out of the larger piece, right? So when you start saying, what is it that you want? And they're like, well, I don't know because nothing has worked. And they say, well, what does worked mean? 
because that usually means it wasn't up to my expectations and expectations mean there was something there that you wanted that you maybe even didn't know that you wanted, but it, it wasn't that right. And so that's always a great place to start and like, great. Okay. None of that worked. Why? What was it that was disappointing about that? And they're like, oh, well, maybe it only worked, quote unquote, worked for a week. Like, why? What happened? Um, what did worked mean? Well, I could only eat that way for a week because it was too expensive, because it was yeah. unrealistic, because I didn't have the time, because I didn't like the foods, whatever it was. And you're like, great. So you want something that is sustainable, that fits your lifestyle, that mm-hmm. doesn't require too much cooking, you know? So you know, you do actually know what you want. You just have to uncover it a little bit. Like, it, it may not be really obvious to you like, oh, I want something that checks all these boxes right. <laughs> and makes me feel like I'm totally in control and confident whenever I'm, you know, in any eating situation. Right. Although there are people who already come to me like that. <laughs> We're very, <laughs> like very, very sure of what they want. So, you know, keeping in mind, you know, your disclaimer that you mentioned, you know, you're not giving specific advice to anyone, um, but you are speaking from your experience and from your expertise. What would you say is the correlation between food you know, someone's mood and pain. Oh, that is very complex. So I am going to say a very broad answer Mm -hmm. that it may or may not be related. So we talk a lot in terms of interpreting research about the difference between correlation and causation. And correlation means that there's an association of some sort. They're linked in some way, but we can't tell if one causes the other. Mm-hmm. So did the pain cause you to eat a certain way because your hands hurt so bad that you can't prep the food? So you are going to things that only require like a few button pushes of the microwave. Or are you, is it what you're eating causing additional pain because there's more like joint pain, for example, in your hands? So then this leads like what, exactly is causing we don't know if it's just a correlation if it's causation there's a little bit more there Um, so certain disease processes have a little bit more of a causal relationship than others food allergies for example right so if you're thinking of like if you eat a food and you break out in hives it's going to be physically uncomfortable not quite the pain part that you're probably thinking about but for example right that's a little bit more causal than if you said oh i ate a food and also, I, I am tired. It could be related, right? There, yeah. there are things that that can affect us, blood sugar levels, specific foods, yeah. how much energy it took to make that food, how much stress <laughs> you were under when you were eating that food, all of these things. Um, but we don't know if that's why that caused yeah. it or were you tired anyway? Were you going to be tired anyway, right? So it's always a little bit of a pulling it out again, right? That's where that specific one-on-one coaching comes in where we look at like, what is your situation? Let's figure this out a little bit, you know, investigate it. And what, what are the medical conditions that you have? Because sometimes it's much more obvious. Oh, if you have this medical condition and you're eating a certain way, sometimes, yeah, this, this can impact, right? We see that with moods, sometimes moods a little bit harder because there's so many things that influence that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like even, you know, for women, like, the menstrual cycle happens right. and the hormones are going all over the place. Yeah. The same food may affect you differently, you know, one week than the next. Um, just waking up could affect you differently one week than the next. That's so, so true. It's kind of hard to tell, right? So that's where it's like personalized nutrition recommendations yeah. should be done by somebody who is personally 
in your care team, right? Um, and so anytime you get somebody who doesn't actually know your situation, who's giving you personalized nutrition recommendations, you should kind of back up and say, why Why can they do this? How, how are they doing this? What gives them enough information right. to tell you that? Like, just take that, you know, a little skeptically, I think, if that would be my recommendation for everybody yeah. when they're thinking about how to apply things that they hear or things that they read or see online. Yeah, let me see those credentials. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let me see the credentials and let me figure out if I'm actually in a provider-patient relationship, right? Or mm. a provider-client uh, like relationship, if you're thinking of the coaching side. Um, mm. If you don't have any information about me personally, like what right do you have to speak into my life like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's all true. So, you know, again, not, you know, disclaimers, not, but I'm asking, actually asking for myself, <laughs> what will be some like healthy, you know, go to, you know, quick grabs, you know, of snacks that someone can like keep in their car, keep in their purse, their bag, um, especially for a busy individual, not just women, but also for, you know, men also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My examples are mostly women. Cause that's who I normally work yeah. with, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, we all have human bodies and we need to eat and snacks are actually a really good part of that because it keeps us fueled throughout the day especially if we're busy we may not have that time for a full meal um so i find that snacking can be very helpful to to keep us from going to those extremes right the hunger um where then we'd swing over like usually then we eat so much in one sitting that we feel over full and it just keeps going back and forth like that so having something um is usually better than having nothing yeah. um but having something specifically that fits the situation, right? So that's something I always talk about with my clients is like, you know, your schedule, you know, the activities that you're going to be doing. If it works for you to bring fresh fruit or like cheese or something, a little chocolates and raisins or something, great. That's fantastic. That works for you. If you're going to leave those snacks in the car and it's going to be hot and cold and hot and cold, right. you're going to have moldy apples and melted chocolate yeah. and that's not going to work out so good for you, right? So you have to figure out what are you using these snacks for? How long? What are the needs of your snacks, basically? Like, what are your requirements for your snacks? Mm. Um, you know, what what are you looking for? Is it really easy for you to find things like in a vending machine somewhere? Great. So maybe your snack plan is actually just bringing a few dollars or something so that you can you do that in cash, right? So that you can actually use the vending machine because sometimes they don't have the credit card readers. Right. So things like that, like it doesn't have to be food that you bring with you. It could be something else to make getting that food more accessible or more realistic for you. Um, and then if you want to actually bring, whoops, hit the microphone. Sorry about that. Everybody with earbuds on. <laughs> um, I, you know, I always recommend like something shelf stable is easier than something mm. that is not shelf stable. If you aren't sure if you're going to eat it or not, because then it adds to food waste and you've might feel bad about yourself and things like that. Right. So going with something shelf stable like granola bars or, you know, um, trail mix without the chocolate, if you're going to leave it in your yeah. car or a hot place, you know, <laughs> things like that. Something that can last a couple of days if you don't eat it right away, you know, pretzels and those little individual peanut butter cups or something. Yeah. Um, you can always change these things based on your situation. If you're bringing things to work and you have a work fridge, you know, boiled eggs could be a good snack or right. anything else that requires refrigeration because now you have different options, right? There's other options for storage available to you. So you get to just 
decide based on what you need and what your options are. And that's so true. So, you know, for everybody that's out there listening, planning is priority. So planning will set you up for success. (laughs) So when it comes to water, you know, I've read and heard so many different things when it comes to water. What is your, you know, opinion when it comes to like water intake? Should it be eight glasses, eight, eight ounce, you know, glasses, 64 ounces, or is it half your body weight in ounces? What's your take on that? My take is drink, assuming like no kidney disease, right? And things like that, that would actually limit your water intake. It'd be drink so that your pee is fairly clear and maybe a little bit on the pale yellow to uh, maybe like medium yellow color and you don't feel thirsty and you don't feel like you are constantly looking for something assuming that you're eating enough food because sometimes what we think of like I'm constantly looking for something you're like yeah because you're hungry Mm -hmm. Um, even though what's often told to us right by by all the diet culture is like well if you're thinking about food you just need to drink more water to fill up your stomach and then you won't eat you're like well yeah but our stomachs are also for food, not just water. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's that balance, right? So I would say that eight by eight recommendation is a great place to start if you have no idea. Um, but if you're not drinking anywhere close to eight glasses of water right now, don't start there. Start yeah. with <laughs> like one extra a day or something. So you can work your way up to it and it doesn't have to be plain water. It can be stuff with flavors, you know. Um, I have heard and usually use the recommendation for only one, only counting one cup of caffeine um, type beverage in that eight ounces. So right. if you drink two cups of coffee, you count one of those towards your, your water count. And then you have seven more to go, right? If you're doing the eight yeah. as your goal. Um, if you, oh, and the reason for that is because caffeine can act as a diuretic sometimes and mm-hmm. diuretic means it makes you pee more. So you're losing more of the liquid. Um, if it's really hot, you're sweating a lot. If you're doing more activities like physical activities, you're going to need more water. If the food you're eating is very dry, you're going to need more water because some of our water comes from the foods that we eat, um, which is also why variety is nice. Variety across food groups is nice because then you get more, uh, variety and like, oh, there's more water and fruits and vegetables, for example, than like a bread, right? So eating a variety of foods and food groups can also be helpful for this. Awesome. So everything that I do, you know, it's about being fearless. So how are you living a fearless life? Um, I, I mean, if we're talking professionally, it's a lot of just putting myself out there, right? Like, I think that's one of the scariest things about having a business and, you know, promoting the business itself is that you need to be out there and talking to people and that has a risk of rejection associated with it. Right. Um, if we're talking about personal, it's probably pretty close to the same, like I'm meeting new people. I'm having, you know, conversations with new friends. And as an adult, that's always kind of awkward. I think it's like, I meet somebody new and we kind of hit it off and we're like, yeah, let's, let's go out to coffee. And so we go out to coffee and then there's this awkward situation of like, so what do you like to do? Like, can I be your friend? Is that weird to ask? Like, it's just this awkward kind of like, how do we do this as adults? Right. Um, But I think, again, knowing what you want, right, helps you get through the fear part of that a little bit more because I know I really want to have really solid friendships with people I click with. 
And that doesn't just happen. Like you can't order friends on Amazon. So I have to go out there and show up and <laughs> ask questions and be myself. And, you know, I think having that really strong sense of this is what I want keeps you going toward that. So you mentioned your business. Um, tell us a little bit more about your business. And is there anything that you're um, working, you know, for the rest of the year and something major that's going on in your business? Sure. Um, my business is Confident Nutrition, and it's a private practice, like one-on-one -on -one, uh, nutrition services. So um, again, mainly women who have a lot going on um, and all around that developing a healthy and joyful relationship with their food. Um, if you're really resonating with my message and you're not a woman, that's totally fine. Like reach out anyway. <laughs> uh, but I find that most, most of the clients that I work with that really click yeah. are, are women. So mm -hmm. that's who I market it to. Um, and I think the, the services are pretty constant. Like I offer these one-on-one -on -one services. Occasionally I'll offer a group thing like my retreat last year. Um, I also offer um, some of the digital products and things like that. So I'm, I've just released one called Transforming Your Food Legacy. Um, and that is a mini workbook around how to honor your, like your heritage, right? Your, mm -hmm. The foods that you came with, the things that you really like about the way that you were raised and understand food and all the cooking and things like that. But letting go of the things that maybe aren't as helpful so letting go of the things that feel like they're keeping you from having that really healthy and joyful relationship with that food and walking yourself through that process. I love that. So you mentioned the retreat. I didn't know about the retreat. So tell us a little bit about that retreat. And do you plan on offering another one in the future? Um, I definitely plan on offering another one. I don't know when yet, um, but it was really fun. It was all around kitchen confidence and compassion. Mm -hmm. So um, getting a more self-compassionate view of ourselves and the way that we eat and just our body relationship in general. And then developing some of those kitchen confidence skills. Like how do we easily plan food? How do we easily nourish ourselves as an act of self-care? Um, how do we put together a meal without a recipe? Uh, those kinds of things, just figuring out like how do we take care of ourselves from different angles um, so that we can really grow in these areas. Um, and it was so much fun. We did it for a week. Um, and it was here in the, the greater Seattle areas outside of Seattle, but um, greater Seattle area, we stayed in, um, in the house. So it was like very calming and it was so much fun. Uh, really great experiences, good bonding time for the people who came. Um, so I definitely want to do something again. I just I'm not sure exactly what yeah. dates or what themes. So stay tuned. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So as we get ready to wrap up, what does fearless living mean to you? And then tell us where our audience can connect with you and learn more about you. Yeah. Fearless living to me means actually not that you're not having fear, but that you are willing to explore what might be possible if you were to do it anyway. Um, even if you're scared, right? Even if you feel like there's some hesitations, like, yes, okay, you acknowledged that the fear is there. You check to see if there's anything like a warning sign about it. Like maybe this is a valid warning sign that I need yeah. to consider. And then if I really, really want to do it, how do I set myself up for success? Even though I'm having fear, even though I'm 
a little bit hesitant, even though these things are coming up. So that would be fearless living for me. Um, you can find out more about me and Confident Nutrition at my website, confidentnutritionnow.com, and on Instagram at Confident Nutrition Travels. Um, and if you just search my name, uh, Shelly Najjar, S H E L L Y N, like in Nancy, A J J A R. Um, it's a pretty unique name, so I usually come up in Google for <laughs> anywhere else that you'd like to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Fearless Fridays with Marianne. As your host, I am grateful for you, and I invite you to share this podcast, and don't forget to leave a review. Let's connect on Facebook at the Fearless Living Coach page or on Instagram at Marianne Rivera Dannert. You can also visit my website, Marianne Rivera Dannert. Com and sign up for some freebies as you start to live a fearless life. Until next time. Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Kelly. The host of Getting Real with Bossy, the real, raw, and honest podcast about small business ownership. We created Bossy to be a safe place to ask the hard questions and to get support that's necessary. With our experience, nine businesses in over 25 years, we continue to bear it all and share what we wish we had known. We move past the must-be-nices and start getting real. Come along as we interview small business owners and get the true story. Leave with another tool for the next time you feel alone on this journey. Business ownership leads to unexpected knowledge. What are you an expert at? Tell us at Getting Real with Bossy and subscribe today.